0: Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not so classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg.
1: And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Don't
0: look at me in that tone of voice, I don't appreciate it.
1: Are you going through puberty this week?
0: Yeah, I think I might be.
1: Okay. <laughs> you didn't even say the tagline.
0: Oh, uh, Campfire Classics, <laughs> read books.
1: <laughs> wow, that hair dye has gone to your your voice. To my head. <laughs> to your head. As it were. Yes, your head voice, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, Ken has black hair now.
0: It's weird, Yeah. Uh, so much for the theory that blonde hair makes you spacey. I Apparently it's dark hair.
1: I think it's just hair change. It's like the, uh, what do they call it, like the breakup cut or whatever. But yours, I mean, yours, <laughs> yours is technically for a show. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. This is,
0: this is, I'm breaking up with my freedom. I don't have free time anymore because the show.
1: Well, and that's you want to trade?
0: <laughs> no, that's not a complaint. That's a... I enjoy breaking up with Freedom. Me and Freedom are not a good pairing. Yeah, me, me and Freedom and free are not a
1: good pairing either, yeah. and we all know that. Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> when Ken has free time, stupid bored things happen.
1: When Heather has free time, she decides two bottles of wine sounds like a great idea. <laughs> that was a week ago. I think I'm finally recovered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so hi everybody. Uh, this is a podcast about uh, life choices. Um no this is a podcast. In many ways. In 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 many ways it in is. In many ways. Many of our characters are the, making some life choices. And uh,
0: the great I think the, the the great figures in really human literature have all dealt with the choices we make as people. And sometimes they're good and sometimes oh mama. <laughs>
1: Most of the time in our stories, since we tend to read mysteries and ghost stories and uh, sci-fi adventure, usually someone makes a really bad choice. Someone makes a really bad choice. Yeah. Interestingly,
0: (laughs) often someone is drinking wine.
1: Well, yes. I mean, (laughs) hello. (laughs) Wine is the is the uh, the gift from the gods.
0: (laughs) Not according to Benjamin Franklin.
1: He thinks it's beer, but Mm -hmm. wine goes farther back.
0: This is true. It does.
1: So. Maybe the gods were like, okay, they, the humans have it rough. Uh, let's give them another gift. <laughs> so they gave them beer as well.
0: <laughs> we already gave you fuckers fire. What else do you want from us? <laughs> we
1: gave you fire. We gave you wheels. Well, I guess you gave yourself wheels because your brains did that. But uh, yeah,
0: well, and depending on well, whose mythology, and, depending know. on whose mythology you believe, uh, humans stole fire.
1: Well, yes, exactly, and. Whatever, whatever your belief, whatever your God is, I hope you're enjoying it right now. Well, you listen to us talk about, so I did, I heard an interesting thing this week.
0: I love interesting things. That
1: I'm about our podcast. So I was was at a museum, the Barnes Foundation. If you're in Philadelphia, I highly, highly recommend this art museum. It's fabulous and so unique. So Um, who
0: at the Barnes Foundation was talking about our podcast?
1: (laughs) Cassie. So my friend Cassie, who uh, invited me here um, and was the perfect tour guide as she used to work there. um, She was saying we were talking about our podcast. It came up because of one of the paintings I saw. And she was like, "I haven't listened to it yet because I just don't have time to read the books." And I went, "Oh, do you think you have to read? No, 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 no reading is involved. We do that for you, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I guess she she had seen the like podcast and like she has like five or six friends with podcasts, as everyone does now. Sure. And it was one of those ones where Cassie does read a lot, but she was like, "I can't." Add that, and I don't want to read along, and like, and I was like, "Oh no, no, you don't That's have to read along point. at all. You can, but I highly recommend you don't because then you'll be ahead of us." And oh, like,
0: okay, so yeah. we might have to do some rebranding. Yeah,
1: I hadn't told you that yet. No,
0: you hadn't. We may have to do some rebranding. Um, Campfire classics, don't read.
1: <laughs> Let us read for you. Um, Campfire Classics.
0: Literature for the illiterate.
1: (laughs) Literature for the lazy. But they're not like, like, that's the thing is most people are just too busy. Uh Like, Cassie reads a lot of books, but she's like, I can't add. It's like, that's just a big thing to have to add to the plate. And I'm like, no, girl, you can listen to it, like, on your commute to work. And she goes, oh, well, now I'm going to check it out. So... There's there's the uh pitch for our podcast and for the Barnes Foundation.
0: So, hey listener, um do me a favor this week. Just 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 between you and me, you know? Like this it's not a big deal. This isn't a uh you know, make going to make you an offer you can't refuse. It's nothing like that. It's just like if you if you think of it at some point in the next 7 days, do me a favor and just while you're talking to someone, point out campfire classics and mention to them that it's okay that they're too stupid to read. They can listen to our <laughs> podcast anyway cuz we do all the hard stuff for you. And
1: then they can pretend they read the stories and sound smart in yeah. conversation. See, that is my favorite thing about this podcast is I'm doing it. So <laughs> I get I have all this knowledge now that I get I actually regularly bring up in podcasts. Randomly, even clown corners come up many times, uh, like because we get fun facts and we get great literature. So, uh, I guess this is our week of this is like our PBS week where we're like. Please send $5. No, yeah, but we're, we're just not asking. Even asking you for no, money. we're not asking you for money. We're just asking you to tell people about this cool podcast that you enjoy, clearly. The,
0: the best thing you can do for us is to tell five friends. Yeah. The second best thing you could do for us is to tell four friends. The third best, you get the point. I'm not going to go through all the numbers.
1: <laughs> yeah, come on, <laughs> black haired boy. <laughs> You're not a blonde, so I couldn't that's be a, like, yeah, blondie. That's a.
0: Weird sort of insult.
1: Black-haired boy.
0: (laughs) It's for the theater. It's for
1: the theater. If you're in, if you're in Philadelphia, go to the Barnes Foundation, or go check out the Legend of Georgia McBride at the theater that Ken's going to be doing it in the next few weeks. Opening
0: February 10th at the South Camden Theater Company.
1: Da 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 da. And tell five friends
0: (laughs) about Campfire Classics or Georgia McBride
1: or the Barnes Foundation. Foundation. (laughs)
0: <laughs> or Pizzeria Verti or oh, whatever the hell that the place shit. was. That was great. So
1: we didn't even know. So Cassie, you know, planned the whole day and Ken was able to join us for, we had a girl's day. And then Ken ha- came and joined us for dinner so they could chat too. And uh, she found this place because uh, they had a, a special going on with Philadelphia Restaurant Week. Turns out not at this location. There's a few locations in Philly, um, but it is a local local restaurant and apparently it is one of the top 125 pizza places in the country that are worth the calories (laughs) so and i will say we had a cauliflower truffle pizza and a mushroom the shroom pizza They were both freaking delicious. Pizzeria Vetri. Now we're a Philadelphia travel podcast as well as a literary podcast.
0: The nice thing about having a podcast is that from week to week, from day to day, from minute to minute, you can make it whatever the hell you want because there's no one here directing us. Because it's
1: mine and we don't have sponsors.
0: (laughs) Uh, So um, this is... Despite all of that madness, a literary comedy podcast where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. There it is. (laughs) But before we get to that, uh, I'm going to reintroduce you all to everybody's favorite recent segment, Clown Corner.
1: (laughs) That's the new introduction for Clown Corner. It's terrifying laughter.
0: (laughs) Wow. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, weirdly, this week's Clown Corner actually um sits pretty solidly in the like educational I always learn things when I do this ah. this podcast. Like it, it feels um historical and museum appropriate and, and all kinds of things. Well, so,
1: how intellectual of us.
0: <laughs> the oldest record of clowns dates back almost forty five hundred years to Egypt's fifth dynasty. Okay. Traditionally going back then and and up until they started becoming more court jesters, traditionally clowns weren't jesters like we think of them today, but were actually much more closely uh linked to religious figures like the actors in ancient Greek theater.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Um these are, uh, the, the, these Greek actors are not the only religious clowns we see in history, nor are the Egyptian uh, clowns. Um, in fact, anthropologists have found entire cultures, or at least... Uh, historical subcultures where sacred clowns serve as central figures, showing us how we are supposed to act by doing everything the wrong way.
1: Okay, so it's like um, uh, learning by example, example, but it's like opposite day.
0: Kind of, yeah. <laughs>
1: it's um, like don't do what I do. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, so these religions, these these cultures, often, though not always, they come from cultures where the pantheon of gods includes a trickster god.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
0: for example, the Lakota and Dakota people have a cultural sacred clown called the Heoka.
1: I actually know this.
0: Um The I don't Heoka know why. Well, among other things it's probably we learned it in- It's a it's a beer Graspel. at Half Acre.
1: Oh well that's funny. I don't think I knew it because of that, <laughs> but that's funny because Half Acre was a brewery right by yep. me in Chicago. <laughs> uh,
0: it's it's the name of one of their IPAs. <laughs> Fun. But that's sort of beside the point. So the the Heoka um will satirize and ask difficult questions of the people around them, usually while acting in a way that is completely contrary to the expected or accepted norms.
1: So it's like don't eat with your hands as he's shoving food in his face. Yes. With his hands. Or
0: they will do things like wrap themselves in a thick blanket and shiver. On the hottest day of the year,
1: Okay.
0: or while everyone else is complaining about the cold, they will walk around naked.
1: It's it's clown. Uh, what did what it's is Stephanie? Clown called? logic. Clown logic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right.
0: So what they do is, when people are depressed, they create laughter. When life has gotten too easy and people are complacent, they will sow chaos and cause problems.
1: So am I just a clown? Well, it, it
0: makes me think of the thing that uh, we often heard in grad school, which is that the purpose of theater or the purpose of art generally is to place a burden on those for whom life is too easy, on the privileged, and to relieve the burden from the oppressed.
1: With comedy, yeah.
0: yeah. So yeah. So they also uh, these these sacred clowns. They help people find the edge of what they're actually comfortable with, because they are allowed to ignore. All social boundaries. Um, They're also expected to ask awkward and uncomfortable questions when everyone else is too busy being polite to ask those important questions. So they're a combination of entertainer, therapist, moral compass, and religious leader.
1: Cool. So it'd be like if Robin Williams was actually Patch Adams. um, Kinda. And went to the priesthood. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Uh, With regards to the the Hayoka uh, specifically, importantly, they also must be confirmed to have received visions from some sort of thunder beings before the title can officially be bestowed upon them. So it really is a religious, like, the spirits are talking to you kind of position. All right. This makes them. I want
1: to see visions from the thunder beings. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds uh, cool. <laughs> this this
0: makes them similar uh, in a lot of ways to other examples of divine madness, which is like outrageous and unpredictable behavior in the name of and pursuit of religious purity or whatever. Uh, and divine madness can be found in most major world religions, and uh, has been cited as an example of clowning throughout. World history. All right. Anyway, that is this week's Clown Corner.
1: Wow, that was very academic. Right? That was very like, hello and welcome to our TED talk about clowns.
0: (laughs) Dear campers, if you learned something interesting from that Clown Corner, please tell a friend, tell five friends, have them tell five friends. That way, we'll be billionaires by Christmas.
1: That is the goal. Of starting your own independent podcast.
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the goal of starting an independent podcast: make my first billion.
1: Make my first billion and spread the word about clowns. That's, that's all I ever wanted. Funny enough, uh, clowns had nothing to do with this podcast until about four months ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much true.
1: So you know, ever evolving. Yeah, ever yeah, evolving, yeah. and one of one one of these things will make us a billionaire.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, but. Clowns is not what we do here at Campfire Classics. Well, we, it is, but it's not. What, yeah. <laughs> it is until someone gives me a better bit.
1: Until someone goes, no, don't do that anymore.
0: <laughs> uh, what this is is a literary comedy podcast where we read short stories that we pull out of the public domain and bring them direct to you, dear listener, for your listening. Uh, listening.
1: For your listening, because you don't have to read along, as we discussed.
0: (laughs) Uh, But before we get to this week's story, I'm going to share just a few fun facts. Fun facts. About this week's author. So, this week's author was the assistant editor of Weird Tales magazine from its founding. He was also a songwriter and, naturally, a writer and novelist. His name was Otis Adelbert Klein.
1: Okay. <laughs> Adelbert, eh? that's a yeah. that's a fun middle name, or
0: possibly Adelbert.
1: Either way, that's a f- yeah. Otis Klein yeah. sounds super like direct and like I'm Otis Klein.
0: Otis Adelbert Klein. But
1: Adelbert Klein yeah. sounds like is he British?
0: <laughs> nope. Okay. Born in Chicago, Illinois, in 1891. All right. Uh, He is best known today for his connections to other writers. Okay. Um, For example, he served as the literary agent to Robert E. Howard, the creator of Conan the Barbarian, who we've read on this podcast. Uh, He gave hundreds of writers uh, a, a start when he published their Stories in his magazine, though admittedly he also got himself published in his magazine a whole bunch.
1: Um, yeah, that's why you start a cedar company. Yep.
0: <laughs> he also reportedly had a long-standing feud with author Edgar Rice Burroughs, the creator of Tarzan, who supposedly claimed that he was writing stories that were too similar to his own Martian sci-fi series.
1: Too similar? Too similar. Like
0: plagiarized? Like plagiarizing. Uh
1: Uh-oh. So
0: in retaliation, Burroughs started writing stories that were close imitations of Klein's Venus series. So Klein wrote an unofficial sequel to one of Burroughs' Martian books. So Burroughs wrote a book set in Klein's Venus universe. Then Klein wrote a Tarzan-esque jungle adventure. You get the idea.
1: This is why women should rule the world, y'all. This is why women should rule the world. <laughs>
0: uh, there is actually some question as to whether this feud really ever existed. Or
1: if it was just an accident. Or,
0: or if these two authors just happen to be writing very similar stories at the same time. Oh, it's
1: not actually documented um, that they didn't like each other? It is like... it is
0: not documented in their own words.
1: Okay. Anywhere. Cool.
0: Never did either of them actively say "fuck that guy."
1: I'm gonna fuck with him. It's, but there, yeah.
0: there are but third it's pretty party obvious accounts, yeah. okay. and certainly they were writing a lot of similar stories back and forth. Okay. Anyway, I like the feud angle, whether it's true or yeah. not. Yeah. Uh, so Otis. Edelbert Klein wrote some 40 short stories and novels, and barring his possibly fictional feud with Tarzan, he led an astonishingly quiet and successful life. He died in Short Beach, Connecticut in 1946. OK? This week, you're going to be reading one of his early contributions to Weird Tales magazine from 1923. This is The Phantom Wolfhound.
1: Ooh!
0: Let's start this fire.
1: Okay. The Phantom Wolfhound by Otis Adalbert Klein. (laughs) It's a good name. It is. It's the first time I've seen it.
0: Adelbert, Adelbert, write me a pretty story. I have a
1: feeling from this title, it's not going to be super pretty. It might be very eloquent, but I have a feeling something bad's going to happen involving a dog-esque creature. Yeah, maybe. Well, let's find out. It could be pretty. The phantom it, maybe wolf. It's a pretty, I'm sure it's a pretty wolf found. Pretty wolf found. I need puppies. Aren't all puppies pretty? All right. The Phantom Wolfhound by Otis Adelbert Klein. Dr. Dorp reluctantly, his name's Dr. Dorp. (laughs) See, that's, I hear like Dr. Hurt and things like that. And I'm like, either you did that on purpose or you should change your name. Yeah. Either way. Dorp. Dorp. Dr. Dorp. Dr. Dorp reluctantly laid aside the manuscript on which he had been working, capped and pocketed his fountain pen, and rose to meet his callers. He was visibly annoyed by this. The third interruption of the afternoon. of <laughs> that he's uh-huh. a doctor and he's working on his novel, and he's like, oh, sick people,
0: fuck. Why do I keep getting visitors, <laughs>
1: God damn it! Ugh.
0: What do you expect me to do about,
1: oh, right. <laughs> oh, that's what I do, I'm Dr. Dorp. The third interruption of the afternoon, but his look of irritation changed to a welcoming smile when he saw the bulky form that was framed in the doorway.
0: Ooh, he likes some bulky.
1: He recognized Harry Hone of the Hone Detective Agency, a heavy-set, florid-faced man whose iron-gray hair and mustache proclaimed him well past middle age. We
0: love a good mustache. We
1: do love a good mustache. We saw a lot of good mustaches at the Browns or at the Barnes Foundation. Oh yeah. Yeah, a lot of a lot of good paintings with mustaches. Like, and Cassie and I were commenting on that. I didn't even link that back to our podcast. It wasn't a, it wasn't a sell. Cassie on Campfire Classics All Day <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but Cassie, if you're listening, there's a lot of fabulous mustaches up in here. Anyway. The slender, stoop-shouldered individual who accompanied him was a total stranger. He had pale, hawk-like features, small snaky eyes that glittered oddly from cavernous sockets, a long and long bony fingers that suggested the claws of a bird. Oh. Hello, Doc, boomed the detective (laughs) genially, crushing the hand of his host in his great muscular paw. He's a doctor.
0: Don't crush his hands. eh.
1: It's okay. It was the early 1900s still. All they did was blood people and, like, shoot them up with magic water. (laughs) Let's be real.
0: Magic water?
1: Yeah, when you go to, like—so I've been to, like, an old—it was a hospital that is now a— Hotel, you know, when it's haunted, um, and the reason people would come to this hospital is because of the springs in the area, and they would inject this water into people, thinking it was healing, and that was in the that was in the 1900s, yo. That was not that long ago. Here we are. All right, so he's crushing his host paw with uh, his hand with a muscular paw. Meet Mr. Rishki. Rish. Rit. Rit. R- Ritzky. Ritzky? Ritzky? I'd say Ritzky. Ritzky! Meet Mr. Ritzky! The doctor was conscious of a cold, clammy sensation as he took the hand of the stranger and acknowledged the introduction. Was it the contrast between those chill fingers and the strong, warm ones of the detective that had caused this feeling? He did not know. But somehow, instinctively, he disliked Mr. Ritzky. <laughs> I've got a queer case for you, doc, said Hone, taking a proffered cigar and inserting it far back in his cheek, (laughs) unlighted. (laughs) Just your specialty, ghosts and all that. I told Mr. Richkey you'd be the only man to unravel the mystery for him. Was over to his house last night, and the thing got me. Too unsubstantial, too damned, elusively unreal. And yet... I'll swear, there was something there. I heard it, but it got away and didn't leave a trace. When it comes to fingerprints and things like that, you know I ain't exactly a dumbbell. But I gotta admit, this thing, whatever it is, had me hopelessly hornswoggled. <laughs>
0: There's something a little Keanu in your reading of this
1: yeah. guy. Well, he's a big guy, so he totally uses his size to like get things. So now he's talking about a ghost, and he's like... I just can't understand this, like, metaphysical shit because, like, I just drink beers with the guys. Hopelessly
0: (laughs) hornswoggled.
1: Hopelessly (laughs) hornswoggled. Ritsky declined a cigar, saying he didn't dare smoke because of heart trouble. The doctor selected one with care. I love that the doctor was like...
0: Marlboro, 8 out of 10 doctors recommend.
1: They sure do. So the doctor selected one with care, lighted it slowly, puffed it with relish, and settled back with a look of eager anticipation in his eyes. "'What happened last night?' he asked. "'Maybe we better begin at the beginning,' said Hone. "'You see, there's quite a story going along with this case, and Mr. Ritzky can tell it better than I. Don't be afraid to give him all the dupe dope. (laughs) Whoa!' (laughs) Get
0: the doctor high.
1: Get the doctor high. I'm guessing dope means information. The full story, yeah. Okay. That's an unfortunate uh, lost in translation moment. Don't be afraid to give him all the dope, Mr. Ritzky. The doc knows all about such things. Wrote a book about him, in fact. Let's see. What's the name of that book, doc? Investigations of Materialization Phenomenon. Right-o, I can never remember it. Anyhow, Mr. Ritzky, tell him your story and ask him all the questions you want to. He's headquarters on this stuff. <laughs> Ritzky studied his claw-like hands for a moment, clasping and unclasping the bony fingers. Suddenly, he looked up. Do animals have immortal souls? he asked anxiously. I'm afraid you have sadly overrated my ability as a recorder of scientific facts, replied the doctor, smiling slightly. Frankly, I do not know. I don't believe anyone knows. Most people think they haven't, and I incline toward that belief.
0: That can't be true. Dogs go to heaven.
1: So, this guy's a fucking quack. (laughs) Then such a thing as a ghost of a... A hound could not be... I would not say that. Nothing is impossible. See, all dogs go to heaven. He's like, "Well, I do believe well, I dogs hmm. go to heaven."
0: <laughs> dogs aren't animals so much as they are manifestations of goodness and light.
1: Yes, so perhaps we shall let's let's, let's discuss it further. Nothing is impossible. There are undoubtedly more things in heaven and earth, as Shakespeare said, than we have dreamed of in our philosophy. However, I would consider a materialization of the disembodied spirit of a canine or any of the other lower animals as highly improbable. But if you saw one with your own eyes, I should probably be inclined to doubt the evidence of my senses. Have you seen one? What are you, a
0: Dickens character?
1: Have I seen one? Grown Ritzky. Good lord, man. I'd give every cent I own to be rid of that thing. For two years, it's turned my nights into hell. From a perfectly healthy, normal human being, I've been reduced to a physical wreck. Sometimes, I think my reason is slipping. The thing will either kill me or drive me mad if it's not stopped. He buried his face into his hands. This is most strange, said the doctor. You say the apparition first troubled you two years ago? Not in its present form, but it was there nevertheless. The first time I saw it was shortly after I killed that cursed dog. Oh, well, oh, well there Well, that's you- why. Well, fuck, man, you don't kill animals. Also, are you a psychopath? Can we lock you up? Okay, that's all.
0: It's what happened to the dude in the black cat, too. Yep.
1: <laughs> spoilers, but go check out our bonus episode from Halloween a couple years ago. If you, Especially if you watched Wednesday recently. <laughs> and want some context. The first time I saw it was shortly after I killed that cursed dog a month ago to be exact. I shot him on the 21st of August and he or it or something came back to haunt me on the 21st of September. It took a whole month. <laughs> He was like, I'm going to really figure out how to fuck this guy's life up. Well,
0: the dog went up to heaven, hung out, got some belly rubs, got some treats. Told people what happened. And then came back to ruin that motherfucker's life.
1: How vividly I remember the impressions of that first night of terror. How I tried the next day to make myself believe it was only a dream. But such a thing could not be. I had retired at eleven o'clock and was awakened from a sound sleep sometime between one and two in the morning by the whining, yapping cry of a dog. As there were no dogs on the premises, you can imagine my surprise. I was about to get up when something directly over the foot of my bed riveted my attention. In the dim light, it appeared a grayish-white in color and closely resembled the head and pendant ears of a hound. I noticed with horror that it was moving slowly toward me, and I was temporarily paralyzed with fright when it emitted a low, cavernous growl. Driving my muscles by an extreme effort of will, I leaped from the bed and switched on the light. In the air where I had seen the thing hanging, there was nothing. The door was bolted and the windows were screened. There was nothing unusual in the room as I found after a thorough search. Mystified, I hunted through the entire house from top to bottom, but without finding a trace of the thing, whatever it was that had made the sounds. From that day to this, I have never laid my head on a pillow with a feeling of security. At first, it visited me at intervals of about a week. These intervals were gradually shortened until it came every night. As its visits became more frequent, the apparition seemed to grow. First, it sprouted a small body like that of a terrier, all out of proportion to the huge head. <laughs> That makes me Giant. think of the dog in the mask when he, like, when yes. the dog puts the yeah, mask exactly. on and his head becomes huge and he's a little terrier yep. and he's like, blah, blah, but his head is massive. Yep.
0: I'm picturing the body of a Jack Russell yeah. with Beethoven's head.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's exactly. That'd be
0: Beethoven the dog, not Beethoven the composer, no, dear be, listener.
1: That'd be strange, but also scary. Also weird. <laughs> also very upsetting if it was haunting you at night. Uh, <laughs>
0: Just comes in and starts screaming at you. Yeah, and...
1: right. <laughs> All right, so we got a tiny terrier body and a huge head. Each night, that body grew a little larger until it assumed the full proportions of a Russian wolfhound. Recently, it has attempted to attack me, but I have always frustrated it by switching on the light. Yeah, ghosts don't like the light. <laughs> he should get like a, a lamp next to his bed or something. They don't have to get out of the bed, or just sleep with a light on. <laughs> This guy's not that smart. He no. killed a dog, so I'm kind of hoping he dies too. Oh yeah,
0: I'm. I'm. I definitely have no sympathy for this for, man. <laughs> I'm. I'm rooting for. What is it, Max? Is that the dog's name in the mask? Oh God. Milo.
1: Milo. Yeah.
0: So I'm cheering for Milo in this. Yeah. Story. Straight
1: up. Straight up. Are you positive that you have not been dreaming all this? Asked the doctor. "'Would it be possible for someone else to hear a dream of mine?' countered Ritsky. "'We have only been able to retain one servant on account of those noises. "'All with the exception of our housekeeper, who is quite deaf, "'heard the noises and left us as a result. "'Who are the members of your household? "'Other than the housekeeper and myself, there is only my niece and Ward, a girl of twelve. "'Has she heard the noises?' She has never mentioned them. Why not move to another apartment? That would do no good. We have moved five times in the last two years. Oh, shit. Oh! That's like the question that always comes up on like like when someone feels like their house is possessed or something. They're like, people move. Just move. And a lot of people are like, moving's expensive, y'all. Like, what do you want us to do? Yep. <laughs> like, let's...
0: well, and just move is a great solution if it's your house if that it's your is house haunted, and not you. If you're being haunted,
1: we've moved five times in the last two years. When the thing first started, we were living on the estate of my niece near Lake Forest. We left the place in charge of caretakers and moved to Evanston. The apparition followed us. It moved to Englewood. The thing moved with us. We have had three different apartments in Chicago since. It came to all of them with equal regularity. Would you mind writing for me the various addresses at which you have lived? Not at all, if they will assist in solving this mystery. The doctor procured a pencil and a sheet of notepaper and Ritzky put down the addresses. Dr. Dorp scanned them carefully. Villa Rogers, he said, then your niece is Olga Rogers, daughter of millionaire James Rogers and his beautiful wife, the former Russian dancer, both of whom were lost on the Titanic. Olga's mother was my sister. After the sudden death of her parents, the court appointed me her guardian and trustee of the estate. I believe that... That is all the information we need at the present, Mr. Ritzky. If you have no objection, I will call on you after dinner this evening, and if Mr. Hoyne cares to accompany me, we will see what we can do in solving this mystery. Please take care that no one in your home is apprised of the object of our visit. Say, if you wish, that we are going to install some electrical equipment. <laughs> I'll be there with Bill, said Hoyne, as they rose to go. <laughs>
0: Um, that's a lovely plan. I don't think the bells will help in (laughs) making people believe that you're there to install electrical. Also,
1: what year is this? Oh, it's the 20s. So people are getting electricity installed in their houses. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's at least after 1912 Mm -hmm. because.
1: Well, because the Titanic is Titanic sank. Yeah. I think this, I think it's just a dog haunting him for real. Oh, yeah. I don't think there's any like explanation of this.
0: Although, I have seen enough Scooby-Doo that, like, I wouldn't be shocked if it turns out the that little girl. the little girl is pissed that he killed a dog and Maybe so it she's was she's fucking dog. with him.
1: Part two. Oh, there's a... Junk-junk. Shortly after his guest's departure, Dr. Dorp was speeding out Sheridan Road towards Villa Rogers. The drive took nearly an hour, and he spent another half hour in questioning the caretakers, man and wife. He returned home with a well-filled notebook and on his arrival he began immediately assembling paraphernalia for the evening's work. This consisted of three cameras with specially constructed shutters, several small electrical mechanisms, a coil of insulated wire, a flash gun, and a kit of tools. Okay, so he's going ghost hunting. Yep. I wonder if this is like the first story of ghost hunting <laughs> like with electrical equipment. <laughs> After dinner, he picked up Hoyne at his home and they started for the haunted house. You say you investigated this case last night, Hoyne, asked the doctor. I tried to, but there was nothing to it, so far as I could see, except the whining of that dog. Where were you when you heard the noises? Ritsky had retired. I slept in a chair in his room. About two o'clock, I was awakened by a whining noise, not loud, yet distinctly audible. Then I heard a yell from Ritsky. He switched on the light a moment later, then sat down on the bed, trembling from head to foot, while beads of perspiration stood out on his forehead. "'Did you see it?' he asked me. "'See what?' I said." "'The hound! I I told him I hadn't seen a thing, but I heard the noise all right. "'Between you and me, though, I did think I saw a white flash for a second beside his bed, "'but I can't swear to it. "'We won't trust our eyes tonight,' said the doctor. "'I have three eyes in that case that will not be affected by hysteria or register hallucinations.' Three eyes. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, <dude. laughs> I totally leaned into it there. <laughs> Cameras, of course. But how? Wait until we get there. I'll show you. A few moments later, they were admitted to the apartment by the housekeeper, a stolid woman of 60 or thereabout. Ritzky presented them to his niece, a dreamy-eyed, delicately-pretty schoolgirl with silky golden curls that glistened against the pale whiteness of her skin. If you don't mind, said the doctor, we will look things over now. It will take some time to install the wiring and make other necessary preparations. Ritzky showed them through the apartment, which was roomy, furnished in good taste and artistically decorated. The floor plan was quite simple and ordinary. First came the large living room and extended across the front of the house. This opened at the right into the dining room and at the center into a hallway which led through to the back of the building. Behind the dining room, there was the kitchen and behind that, the servant's room. Ritzky's bedroom was directly across the hall from the dining room. Then came his niece's bedroom, a spare bedroom and a bathroom. Each of the three front bedrooms were equipped with a private bath and large clothes closet. The doctor began by installing the three cameras in Ritsky's room, fastening them on the wall in such a manner that they faced the bed from three directions. After focusing them properly, he set the flash gun on a collapsible tripod and pointed it toward the bed. I, I know exactly what he's doing right okay. now because I have watched so many episodes of Ghost Hunters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, ooh, I can even see it. I'm like, ready.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's just having to be a little more old school about it. Well, so yeah. he's got his flash gun going because it's going to need that bright light yeah, to trigger because the... Because they
1: don't have black light sensor cameras yeah. and shit. <laughs> like, I can imagine ghost hunting back he, he, then... Like now anyone you can get an EMF reader at like fucking Home Depot basically but like here just to have one camera was incredibly expensive let alone 3 and a flash bulb and you know all this other equipment so so this doctor I'm starting to think is actually a doctor of metaphysical like something as yeah. opposed to being a medical doctor <laughs>
0: Yeah, he might be both
1: the room was lighted by an alabaster bowl that depended from the ceiling and could be turned on or off by a switch at the bedside. There were, in addition, two wall lights, one on each side of the dresser and a small reading lamp on a table in one corner. These last three lights were operated by individual pull cords. Ritzky procured a step ladder for him and after switching off the drop light, he removed one of the bulbs from the cluster and inserted a four-way socket. From this socket, he ran wires along the ceiling and down the wall to the three cameras and the flash gun. By the time these preparations were completed, Miss Rogers and the housekeeper had retired. Hoyne surveyed the finished job with frank admiration. "'If there's anything in this room when Ritzky turns the switch, those three mechanical eyes will sure spot it,' he said enthusiastically." now, Mr. Ritsky,' began the doctor. "'I want you to place yourself entirely in our hands for the night. "'Keep cool, fear nothing, and carry out my instructions to the letter. "'I suggest that you go to bed now and endeavor to get some sleep. "'If the apparition troubles you, just do as you have done in the past. "'Turn on the light. "'Do not, however, touch the light switch unless the thing appears.' The photographic plates, when developed, will tell whether you have been suffering from a mere hallucination induced by auto-suggestion, or if genuine materialization phenomenon has occurred.
0: I'm gonna science your ghost.
1: I'm science your ghost. After closing the bolting to the windows, they placed the stepladder in the hallway beside Ritzky's door. Then they obtained a duplicate key from him and asked him to lock himself in, removing his key so they might gain entrance at any time. When everything was ready, they quietly brought two chairs into the hall from the spare bedroom and began their silent vigil. Part three, dum-dum.
0: Or, dum-dum-dum. Dunk, dunk, dunk.
1: Or tres. Cuatro cinco cinco seis.
0: <laughs> Who you gonna call?
1: Both men sat in silence for nearly three hours. The doctor seemed lost in thought, and Hoy nervously mis- masticulated? Masturbated? <laughs> Masturbated with a cigar? Oh my god! Wow, this story got weird, y'all. <laughs> um,
0: I mean, sometimes that's just the best way to calm your nerves. <laughs> I've never tried with a cigar,
1: but uh bill clinton sure did <laughs> whoa uh, there it is i'm just saying i mean it's it was topical like the, it was like the biggest news story when we were children Come topical
0: on. humor if it were 30 years ago um
1: that is pretty much how i learned about kink, weird sex so let's be real. <laughs>
0: listening to the npr coverage yes, of
1: to bbc because we were in england uh, but yes yeah, yeah straight up <laughs> uh. yep that These were the stories of our childhood, y'all. Those
0: were the days. <laughs> uh, no, he masticated. Yes,
1: he masticated, which meant chew. But I got to that word and was like, that's not what that says. The doctor seemed lost in thought, and Hoyne nervously masticated his inevitable unlighted cigar. I love that he has just an oral fixation, so he just likes to chew on the cigar. He doesn't actually smoke it.
0: Yeah, that's um what... Uh Scratch marks did.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Which I guess <laughs> chewing tobacco turned into yeah. for people, which is very bad for you. The house was quiet except for the ticking of the hall clock, its hourly chiming announcements of the flight of time. Shortly after the clock struck two, they heard a low, scarcely audible moan. What was that? Whispered the detective hoarsely. Wait, the doctor replied. Presently, it was repeated followed by prolonged sobbing. It's Miss Rogers, said Hoyne excitedly. Dr. Dorp rose and softly tiptoed to the door of the child's bedchamber. Yes, After-
0: that's a good plan. After all that <laughs> masticating, stand outside a little girl's room and listen to her moaning. Oh,
1: God, why'd you go there? <laughs> <God>. No! <laughs> Maybe she's moaning because their whole house smells like cigar crap. <laughs> Dr. Dorp rose and softly tiptoed to the door of the child's bedchamber. After listening there for a moment, he noiselessly opened the door and entered. Presently, he returned, leaving the door ajar. The sobbing and moaning continued. "'Just as I expected,' he said. "'I want you to go in the child's room, keep quiet, and make mental note of everything you see and hear. Stay there until I call you and be prepared for a startling sight.' What? Wh- wh- what is it? asked Hoyne nervously. Nothing that will hurt you. What's the matter? Are you afraid? Afraid? Hell! growled Hoyne. Yes. Can't a man ask a question? <laughs> so, yes, you're afraid. No time to answer questions now. Get in there and do as I say if you want to be of any assistance. All right, Doc, it's your party. <laughs> The big detective entered the room of the sobbing child. That just sounds so wrong. (laughs) The big detective entered the room of the sobbing child and squeezed his great bulk into a dainty rocking chair. Don't. Just. No.
0: (laughs) You shouldn't be squeezing your bulk into anything in a children's room.
1: At night. Silently. uh (laughs) She tossed from side to side, moaning as if in pain, and Hoyne, pitying her, wondered why the doctor did not waken her. Presently, she ceased her convulsive movements, clenched her hands, and uttered a low, gurgling cry as a white, filmy mass slowly emerged from between her lips. No. Oh my God!
0: <laughs> That's oh. not more appropriate.
1: Wait, holy shit, what's going on? <laughs> ah. The amazed detective stared with open mouth, so frightened that he forgot to chew his cigar. The filmy material continued to pour forth for several minutes that seemed like hours to the tense watcher. Then it formed a nebulous, wispy cloud above the bed, completely detached himself from the girl and floated out through the half open door. What the fuck? Oh my god, it's like, are you the gatekeeper? It's like this demon It is Ghostbusters. It is Ghostbusters, that like fucking like demon dog. Yep. All right, so we're in Ghostbusters. Okay, so now they're now this child has is possessed by some sort of demon bloodhound or something here. Okay.
0: The Demon Bloodhound Gang.
1: <laughs> Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, cinco, seis. You know it's kind of hard just to get along today. The subject isn't cool, but he fixes it anyway. He may not have. Co- <laughs> I quoted that earlier, and then you I said Bloodhound you, I, gang. I
0: know you did. I was I was watching to see how
1: far through the song you get. I could have kept going. I thought it's too much. Uh huh. Uh huh. Give it to me, baby. Uh-huh, uh-huh, give it to me, baby. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And all the girlies say he's pretty fly for pretty a white guy. guy. <laughs> Fuck. Anyway, where were we? The demon dog is emerging. Uh, yeah, the, the,
0: the dog is apparently appearing as some sort of white, frothy, gurgling mass yeah. on the little girl's lips.
1: It has already appeared completely it came out of her lips like she like birthed it from her mouth you're like Bleh. thank you that's better like the exorcist but instead of green pea soup it's like white pea soup <laughs> It's white chili <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> you're welcome Don't like everyone that. All right it formed a nebulous wispy cloud above the bed completely detaching itself from the girl and floated out through the half open door. Dr. Dorp, standing in the hallway, saw a white, misty thing of indefinite outline emerge from the bedroom. It floated through the hall and paused directly in front of Ritzky's door. He approached it cautiously and noiselessly and noticed that it grew rapidly smaller. Then he discovered the reason. It was flowing through the keyhole. In a short time, it had totally disappeared. He waited breathlessly. What was that? The whining cry of a hound broke the stillness. He mounted the stepladder in order to view the interior of the room through the glass transom. He had scarcely placed his foot on the second step when the whining noise changed to a gurgling growl that was followed by a shriek of mortal terror and the dull report of the flash gun. Leaping down from the ladder, the doctor called Hoyne, and they entered the haunted bedchamber. The room was brilliantly lighted by the alabaster bowl and filled with the sickening fumes of flash powder. Hoyne opened the windows and returned to where the doctor was, thoughtfully viewing Ritsky, who had apparently fainted. He had fallen half out of bed and hung there with one bony arm trailing and his emaciated face a perfect picture of abject fear. "'My God!' exclaimed Hoyne. "'Look!' there on his throat chest the frothy slaver of a hound (laughs) or he was masturbating in bed too (laughs) the dog
0: everybody does it he was stressed too he was was just nerves
1: seems like he hasn't slept in like two years so Yeah. yeah god the doctor took a small porcelain dish from his pocket removed the lid and with the blade of his pocket knife scraped part of the slimy deposit into the receptacle Hadn't we Christ. better try to bring him to? inquired Hoyne. After th- it's like ectoplasm. <laughs> He's got to test it back at the lab. After they had lifted him back in bed, the doctor leaned over and held his ears to the breast of the recumbent man. He took his stethoscope from his case and listened again. Then he straightened gravely. No earthly power can bring him to, he said softly. Ritsky is dead.
0: Yeah, we didn't like him anyway.
1: There's, there's some crazy shit going on in this house, and that poor girl, man. <laughs> like, that poor little she, girl's got a demon inside she, her.
0: She gave birth to a froth demon.
1: Yeah, she like pulled a red woman from Game of Thrones yeah. here, except out her mouth. It's yeah. like. Bleh.
0: <laughs> Although realistically, if you had to choose to give birth to a demon out of your mouth or out of your vagina,
1: I don't know. I don't like throwing up very much. <laughs> But of course, I don't think she's aware of it. <laughs> like, yeah, she
0: was she was unconscious. She
1: was unconscious, so I guess it doesn't matter. I would rather not have demons coming out of my body at night, but, you know, that's just me. To each their own.
0: Frothy demon baby.
1: Well, uh, all right, here we go. Section four.
0: Dun, 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 dun.
1: The detective remained in the house, pending the arrival of the coroner and the undertaker, while Dr. Dorp hurried home with his paraphernalia and the sample of slime he had scraped from the corpse. Hoyne was puzzled by the fact that the doctor searched the house and the clothing of the dead man before departing. The detective kept busy at the Ritzky apartment until nearly 10 o'clock. After stopping in a restaurant for a bit of breakfast and a cup of coffee, he went directly to the doctor's home. He found the psychologist. There it is. Psychologist. Um, great. In his laboratory. Most psychologists don't have laboratories. Why not? It sounds very Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde up in here. I don't
0: know. I think um, Pavlov was a psychologist, wasn't he? He was a behavioral psychologist, and he had a lab.
1: That's true yeah you're right. so he's a they're like they're like uh, research psychologists as yeah. opposed to like we're gonna prescribe you drugs <laughs> Oh
0: yeah he's I don't think he's a therapist. I think yeah. he's he's one of those fuckers who does well, experiments on walks so, you in a room and sees how you react. So
1: he's a scientist/ slash, uh, I would what I would call that is a uh, psychopath sci- <laughs> that too yes uh, <laughs> um, a mad scientist yes. Uh, Okay, so the psychologist is in his laboratory, engrossed in a complicated chemical experiment. He shook a test tube, which he had been heating over a small alcohol lamp, held it up to the light, stood it in a small rack in which there were a number of other partly filled with liquid, and nodded cordially to his friend. "'Morning, Doc,' greeted Hoyne. "'Have you doped out what we're going to tell the coroner yet?' I knew the direct cause of Ritzky's death long ago. It was fear. The indirect cause, the thing that induced the fear, required careful examination and considerable chemical research. And it was... Psychoplasm. So it is, it's ectoplasm!
0: (laughs) And it was... A thing I made up.
1: A word I just made up for you.
0: Imaginary bullshit. Well, yeah, here we Did go. Did I mention I'm a psychologist?
1: He's about to quote someone very special. I don't get you, Doc. What is psychoplasm? No doubt you have heard of the substance called ectoplasm, woo-woo, regarding which Sir Arthur Conan Doyle has delivered numerous lectures, or an identical substance called teleplasm, discovered by Baron von Schrecknotsting, which... <laughs> Well, attending materialization seances with a medium known as Eva. I love that the medium's name is just Eva.
0: <laughs> I think it's probably Ava.
1: Ava? Like Ava Perone?
0: Like, it sounds more German. Ava.
1: Oh, sure. Eva, Ava, whatever.
0: <laughs> Eva.
1: While the Baron was observing and photographing this substance in Europe, my friend and colleague, Professor James Braddock, was conducting similar investigations in this country. He named the substance Psychoplasm, and I like the name better than either of the other two. (laughs) Because that one's the best, and it was made in America. Because it's American. Yep. Uh, because I like that one better than the other two, as it is undoubtedly created or generated from invisible particles of matter through the power of the subjective mind. I have examined and analyzed many samples of this substance in the past. The plate I now have under the compound microscope and the... And the different chemical determinations I have just completed show conclusively that this is psychoplasm. But how? Where did it come from? I learned something of the history of Vritsky and his ward yesterday. Let me enlighten you on the score first. "'The man told the truth when he had said "'he was appointed guardian of his niece, "'and also when he said he had shot a dog. "'The dog in question was a Russian wolfhound, "'a present sent to the girl by her parents "'while they were touring Russia. "'He was only half-grown when he arrived, "'and the two soon became boon companions, "'frolicking and playing about the grounds together "'or romping through the big house. "'See, what a fucking asshole. "'I'm so glad he's dead.' (laughs) Some time after the death of Olga's parents, Ritsky, then editor of a radical newspaper in New York, took up his abode at Villa Rogers. The dog, by that time full grown, took a violent dislike to him and on one occasion bit him quite severely. Deserved it. When he announced his intention of having the animal shot, the girl wept violently and swore that she would kill herself if Shag, as she had named him, were killed. It seemed that she regarded him as a token of love from her parents, who had sailed away, never to return. Shag, that's the name, broke in Hoyne excitedly. After the white thing floated out the room, she made noises like a dog and then answered them, saying, Good old Shag, and patted an imaginary head. She sure gave me the creeps, though, when she let out that growl. (laughs) They have a very uh, um, Sherlock and Watson vibe or a uh, Hastings and uh, Poirot vibe.
0: Yeah, I was going to go with Pinky and the Brain. Well,
1: more Pinky and the Brain because it's a little creepier. And
0: And you can't tell which one is a genius and, and which one is insane. Well,
1: yes, and clearly there's something actually paranormal happening here, which does not happen in the other ones. But here we go. The vengeful Ritsky, continued the doctor, was determined that Shag should die, and found an opportunity to shoot him with a pistol when the girl was in the house. Shortly after, the faithful creature dragged himself to the feet of his mistress and died in her arms. He could not tell her who had taken his life, but she must have known subjectively, and as a result entered a hatred for her uncle, of which she objectively knew nothing." Most people have potential mediumistic power. How this power is developed in certain individuals and remains particularly dormant in others is a question that has never been satisfactorily explained. I personally believe that it is often developed because of intense emotional repressions which, unable to find an outlet in a normal manner through the objective mind, find expression in abnormal psychic manifestations. This seemed to be the case with Olga Rogers. She developed the power subjectively without objective knowledge that it existed. One of the most striking of psychic powers is that of creating or assembling the substance called psychoplasm, causing it to assume various forms and to move as if endowed with a mind of its own. Olga was a fucking witch. (laughs) It doesn't say that, but she's, she's a badass. Olga developed this particular power to a remarkable degree. Acting under the direction of her subjective intelligence, the substance assumed the form of her beloved animal companion and sought revenge on its slayer. We arrived a day too late to save the object from her unconscious hatred. Too bad you weren't there the night before, said Hoyne. The poor devil would be alive today if you had been on hand with me the first night to dope the thing out. We might have saved him for a prison term or the gallows, replied the doctor a bit sardonically. You haven't seen this, of course. He took a small silver pencil from the table and handed it to the detective. What's that got to do with open it? Unscrew the top carefully. Hoyne unscrewed it gingerly and saw that the chamber, which was made to hold extra leads, was filled with a white powder. Arsenic said the doctor briefly did you notice the sickly pallor of that girl the dark rings under her eyes her loving uncle and guardian was slowly poisoning her god damn he sucked he
0: was a bad person he had it coming
1: he had it it coming coming. he He had had it coming all along and her name's Olga that sounds like someone who is in in and it's in Chicago we're in Chicago oh look at that it's brilliant. All right. What would,
0: what would her word be? Woof.
1: Woof. <laughs> psychoplasm. <laughs> Instead of lipshits, psychoplasm. <laughs> her loving uncle and guardian was slowly poisoning her, increasing the doses from time to time. In another month or six weeks she would have been dead, and Ritzky, her nearest living relative, would have inherited her immense fortune. Well I'll be damned, exploded Hoyne.
0: No, Ritzky will be.
1: He is damned. Oh he is he is damned to hell, for sure. Dr. Dorp's laboratory assistant entered and handed a package of prints to his employer. Here are the proofs of last night's photographs, said the doctor. Care to see them? Coyne took them to the window and scrutinized them carefully. All showed Ritsky leaning out of bed, his hand on the light switch, his face contorted in an expression of intense horror, and gripping his throat in its ugly jaws was the white, mishappened phantasm of a huge Russian wolfhound. The End
0: Scooby-Dooby Death.
1: <laughs> Except there was no old man underneath the sheets. It was the fucking uh, uh, no, revenge the, the, revenge need of this little yeah, poor so girl who was being poisoned to death.
0: It's the revenge of Scooby-Dooby Death.
1: Scooby-Dooby Death. Scooby-Dooby
0: Death. You're the best. I've got a job for you now. My uncle is a and he should die.
1: Want to give it a try now? <laughs> you have to meow out something. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> uh. Does it get me out out in song form even?
0: Yeah, I think uh, so. Okay. I can't get away with it's just the lyrics.
1: I don't think I've ever. You don't think you've ever said it, and if it wasn't directly in response to me. <laughs> I have.
0: I have. Oh yeah. Uh, oh I've yeah. You have said it a couple of times um, when. Uh, like when I was recording an episode with my mom.
1: <laughs> I bet your mom loved that. <laughs> she did
0: actually. It was, there was, there was a day when she was like, we were reading about a character who was particularly douchey. I don't remember which story it was. Um, and she said something like, ooh, Heather would have some things to say about that guy. And I was like, "Yeah, she would." And she'd mom said, him. "My and mom said something like she'd call him a bastard or something." And I and I said, "No, no, she'd call him an irredeemable."
1: <laughs> yes, yes, I would. You irredeemable <laughs> of a man, Ritzky. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, he he is unredeemable, and now he is dead. Now he's well. Dead. I yeah. liked that story. Yeah, that was very good. I enjoyed that because I did not know that we were actually going to the the uh I guess I should have known because this guy's weird from Weird Tales. Weird yeah. tales and like he wrote a lot of stories about aliens yeah. and you know the 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 uh paranormal, the mm-hmm. the unknown. Um but it was like it seriously was like a detective story. It was like a Sherlock Holmes tale, but with actual ghosts. Yeah. As so it was to, like,
0: it was like some of Doyle's supernatural stories.
1: It was like Doyle, it was like Sherlock Holmes meets The Funnel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, go read that, go listen to that story, y'all, if you haven't, The Funnel. I forget which episode uh, it was, but it was it's a one, it's fucking great story. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. It was cool. All right.
0: So I kept, I had in my head, ever since we decided to name the dog Milo, um, the the idea that this was gonna turn into a story that could be called like Milo's Revenge. Uh-huh. And then I remembered that the the author's name is Otis. It's Milo and Otis. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Milo and Otis, the
1: revenge.
0: <laughs> Milo and Otis 2. Scooby-Dooby Death.
1: Scooby-Dooby Death! <laughs>
0: So, listener, what did you think of that story? Did you enjoy it? Did you find yourself unsettled by it? Did you have as unpleasant, a visceral reaction to all of the white frothiness as I did, because I just really did not like
1: There was a lot of white froth. <laughs> uh,
0: shoot us an email or a message and let us know, either at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or any of our social media, which you can find by just searching for Campfire Classics Podcast. And when you send us that email, please include this week's secret passphrase, which is Demon Bloodhound Gang.
1: Demon Bloodhound! I can't think of any of their other songs right now Oh yes I can You and me baby ain't nothing but mammals So let's Let's do it it like they they do on the Discovery Discovery Channel Channel. Getting horny now
0: (laughs) Um Got anything um, else we can? So we've got we've got a couple of their songs. We've got the Ghostbusters theme. We've got Chicago. You
1: got it coming.
0: Really in. working on um, getting some copyright violations Re- in this episode. Really
1: looking to get uh, getting flagged on yeah. YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> super excited about it. Yeah, we'll see how good our renditions were. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, you got anything else?
1: No, I'm good. That was was a fun one.
0: Well, thanks for joining us, campers. And until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf.
1: Dude, a real ghost came in and killed that guy. That's crazy.